Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Modern Mind with eight lessons from ultra endurance. And ultimately, I'm going to try and convince you today that you, at some point in your life, should take on an ultra endurance event because I firmly believe there's a lot of value in them. And hopefully, by the end of the day, you will feel the same way. First up, we'll hear from Mark Beaumont and why we need to gain experience by going out and doing stuff rather than just over planning for things. In the world of social media, it's important to do things for ourselves, build our trade rather than capturing it for others, which will make us better in the long run. Next up, we hear from Sean Conway, who has recently broken the world record for the most consecutive Ironman distance triathlons ever which is 102 in 102 days. And we hear from him on how to deal with the setbacks of long-distance events and strategies to help overcome them, (laughs) plenty of which I'm sure he's employed recently. Then we will hear from my business partner and probably person I see most frequently, Johnny Payne, dealing with the fear and anxiety of an ultramarathon even after prep and how the experience of ultra running has influenced his life as a father and a husband. Next up, we'll hear from Chris King on how being honest and dropping the ego is key to success and how ultras refine us as a person. This is coming from somebody who is a race director for some of the toughest events in the world, as well as a very high pedigree athlete himself. Following on from this, we will hear from Paul Minter, who ran around the UK. Pain is temporary, pride is forever. No matter how bad things are, we can get through them if we keep going. All achievements are relative and people need to acknowledge and use that to their advantage. Then we'll hear from Flora Beverly on how getting into ultra running and learning the value in beating personal bests rather than comparing yourself to others has done a lot for her and how it can for you too. We can do far more than we can imagine and that's a key message that she really believes in. Next up, we'll hear from Alex Staniforth, who will talk us through how the body can endure way more than we could ever believe it possible of doing so, and how ultra running and adventure in general has helped him get out of a victim mindset. Next up, we'll hear from Rupert Guinness, ultra endurance cyclist and journalist, who talks us through how he reframed ultra endurance events as a privilege rather than as suffering, and how he personally has dealt with the quote-unquote failure of not completing the race across America last year. I say quote-unquote failure because I do firmly believe that ultra-endurance is a fantastic way to give us lessons from hardship and adversity that we charge towards willingly. That's why I firmly personally believe that at some point in our lives, if we are capable of doing so, it would be very valuable for every individual to strive towards learning the lessons that come from ultra-endurance. So here are eight lessons from ultra-endurance today for you to reflect upon before you decide what direction to go in next. But before we dive into those lessons, it is important to do a little bit of housekeeping. Obvious podcasty stuff, please. Rate and or review the show on whatever platform you're listening on. Share this episode or an episode previously with a friend. Check us out on YouTube and sign up to the mailing list. And make sure to hit follow or subscribe from wherever you are listening as well. Thank you very much. And finally, before we dive into the meat and bones of today's conversations, it is important to mention the show's sponsors, as without them, there would be no show. First up, we have Vivo Barefoot, who could well be the hack that you didn't know you needed. A study out of Liverpool University in 2021 has shown that by wearing a pair of Vivos for just six months can improve your foot strength by up to 60%. And for those of you listening that are into your health and fitness, I must ask the question as to why you would turn down such an opportunity. But how does this translate to the real world, you ask? Well, speaking from experience, I've been wearing Vivos for over four years now, and I love them. I'm in them 99% of the time, day to day. I'm walking in them, I'm in the gym in them, I'm trail running in them. I wear conventional running trainers for longer distance running, and I've got some sort of smarter dress shoes or dress sneakers that I wear for special, more formal occasions. But 99% of the time, I am in Vivos, and I could not go back, to be honest. 
My feet are stronger. My ankles are more reinforced. I have better proprioception from the ground upwards. I have very little interference between the ground and my movement patterns in the gym, and that has made me stronger overall. So if you would like to reap the rewards and feel the benefits for yourself, I recommend that you get a pair of Vivos for a day-to-day activity, whether it's walking the dog, commuting to work. Give them a go, and if you love them as much as I do, you may well end up with a arsenal of footwear like I do. If you don't love them, then, well, now you know. And if you would like to give them a go, then use the code FERGUSVIVO to save yourself 10% off at checkout and let me know how you get on over social media. Next up, we have Man Cave, who are, without a doubt, the UK's most exciting men's grooming business. Based out of the Peak District and sold nationwide, they are 100% recyclable, 100% cruelty-free, and 100% natural, which means that you can have confidence in the quality of the product that you are using to look great, smell great, and feel great, which is the most important thing at the end of the day. Is it not? They have everything from weird and wonderful smelling shower gels to hair products to black spice body scrub to beard oil and everything in between. And would love it if you guys gave their product a go if you haven't yet done so, as I've been using them for over a year now and really do swear by them. They are much better than a lot of off-the-shelf supermarket brands. And men, if you're listening using a three-in-one shampoo, body wash, conditioner thing, then it's time to step up your game because we're not teenagers anymore and you deserve better. So, if you're looking to capitalise on how much you deserve better, then use the code FC40 at checkout to save yourself 40% off, and please let me know how you get on over social media. So, without any further ado, let's dive into today's episode and reflect on eight lessons from the world of ultra-endurance. Far too often we we spend too much time planning, scribbling, plotting, yeah, and talking to people before actually learn as you go, and you'll build something along the way that is much closer to the end goal than had you not started in the first place. Yeah, and I do understand why people try and de-risk their goals in life, whether it's building a business or taking on an expedition. You know, they do try and de-risk it by understanding everything before they start. And uh, the, my, I guess my challenge these days is everyone tries to build a brand and become very professional before they've actually done anything and you know i'm i'm a i'm a bit old fashioned i guess about this and and i think you've got to get out there learn your ropes that 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 bit about learn your trade do stuff just do stuff put yourself into difficult places and do stuff and then more organically build an identity a brand an ecosystem around what you're doing because you know you can spend all day long fine-tuning a plan, figuring out how you're going to communicate that, you know, coming up with some sleek presentations. But ultimately, if you've not got the the story to back that up, I feel lucky that my first expeditions happened before social media. Um, so when I first went around the world, or then I backed that up with a nine-month expedition down the length of the Americas, I was filming, and it's not that long ago, but I was filming on mini DV. So I was, I was shooting on BBC cameras that were reel-to-reel cassettes. And then couriering them back from, you know, Pakistan or Chile or wherever I was. And I got to live these expeditions for myself and then for an audience that would see it afterwards. So I felt like I was taking a a UK and then global audience with me. But my focus was very much in what I was doing and I was in the moment. And then it was only sort of three, four years into my career that social media really started to take off. And I then had to start to tell what I was doing in real time, as opposed to, you know, package it up for, say, a books or documentaries or talks afterwards. And it completely changes the lens of how you're taking on that journey if you're constantly having to sort of communicate it as you go. And it's not a bad thing. 
But I often say to, to athletes when they're taking on their first expeditions or races, try for the first few times um, to just live it and understand it and be in your own head. Capture it if you want for an audience afterwards, but don't tell the whole thing on Instagram stories as you go because you won't learn nearly as much about your own psychology, you know, you, you, you know, your interaction with the world around you. You can then build that on top afterwards, but I plead people to try and go out and do it for yourself, learn your skills, build your sort of learn that trade bit and then and then you sort of layer the the real-time bit over the top because otherwise you end up in this very false world especially if you're trying to do this professionally where you're sort of living your life through this uh sort of avatar that you've created for yourself but you're not actually investing the time in doing very difficult things and learning how you operate in that space so 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 everything everything is very 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 much for the shop window as opposed to actually having a great shop and um it it, it changes your decision making in terms of what you're going to do you know you end up sort of just curating projects which are are are, are very sort of visual and immediate but but you know a, a lot of my early expeditions i was away for you know three six nine months at a time and, you know, I was very much sort of investing time in myself as an athlete and figuring out how I could operate in these very remote, difficult, often dangerous environments. Um, and then clearly I built a broadcasting career alongside that. But, you know, I guess for me, it was luck that, you know, my, my career started before social media. I didn't have to build that communications platform in the same way that people do now. And the risk is, as I say, that you're very, very front facing from the start. You're very polished. You've got a wonderful brand, but you lack the credibility. You lack the credibility because you've not done the stuff and lived it and owned it and, and sort of earned your stripes. And it goes back to that very first point that I made, you know, shoot for the stars, but learn your trade. And, and it's very hard to learn your trade if you're if you're doing that, you know, publicly all the time you've got to you got to put the you got to put the hours in you put got to put the graft in and it's not all for instagram the man in the arena is all i could think about there and there the sort of age-old considerations there the psychological thing is, is the big thing there because my social media journey for want of a better phrase began as a way of documenting my journey to charitable endeavors which meant that sometimes the best thing i could do was showcase and tell people what i was doing but other times i just had to get my head down and crack on with the brutal training session that was to come and i remember the, the probably the, the biggest turning point in this career journey ultra experience that i've had was when i first saw 10 p.m start from glasgow back to edinburgh on foot and i just thought Oh Christ! Self-supported, nobody to nobody to call. Ten p.m. I was expected to get back in about eight, between eight and ten, and just all the mistakes in the world, all the things I got wrong. I was filming it as I went to do stuff with afterwards, but actually that became a because it wasn't in real time. It became like a diary for me, just reflecting on my own thoughts. So getting to watch that back and understand the thought processes that I had then, how I'd frame them now, from a personal point of view, quantifies exactly what you've just said there because it allows me to understand the psychology of actually having gone through the process and what comes out the other side makes it easier for me to dress up the storefront because I'm more in tune and more self-aware so I know how to put things across. And I know exactly what you mean when it comes to if you want to keep presenting this persona, but the persona isn't being reinforced in the background, 
before you know it, you're going to be detached in what you're presenting versus what you're actually living. And that's a risky place to live in psychologically, I think, because you could lead yourself into a bit of an identity crisis or a bit of a... Yeah, for sure. A confused state of mind in terms of what direction you should be going or if you're doing enough or if you should be doing things differently. And it can become quite self-critical, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess not that many people listening to this will be trying to build a career as, you know, professional adventurers. So, you know, maybe it doesn't apply. But I think it's I think it's more a case of understanding that you need to get more than you need to get good at more than just the bit that you enjoy doing. And for athletes, I'd say that's physically training um, and the psychological resilience. I've, ju I've just finished writing a book about um, sports psychology so, and um the I wrote a book previously called Endurance, which was sort of touching on all the important aspects which allows um athletes of all ilk, but especially bike riders, to 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 go further. And I the the way I framed that up is young, old, male, female, we can all do endurance. You know, not everyone can be a sprint athlete, not everyone, you know, is can be a power athlete, although you might argue against that point. But my point is that everyone has the ability to go further. Everyone has the ability to push themselves at a pace. And it's wonderful to see in ultra swimming and ultra running and ultra ultra everything that that all ages from twenties to eighties from you know, and people of all backgrounds and 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 um and, and the equality, especially, you know, in terms of I mean, I've absolutely loved watching like the Golden Trails uh running series and you know some some of the ultra records that have fallen and and the women that are absolutely leading the way there i mean that this is this is why endurance and ultra endurance is such an exciting space because physically there's no reason that people can't do endurance whereas in other aspects of sports there there can sometimes be be limiting factors but then the most interesting what i find when you looked at nutrition and fit and um training and the most interesting chapter within the endurance book was psychology and the headspace bit and went and so that's i sort of took that chapter and, and and made a wider book about it with a uh a friend of mine over in california dr jim taylor who is a psychologist having worked with you know u.s ski team and triathlon and some of these top athletes um but it's the one bit which even though i've just written a book about it you can't really learn in a book it can sort of signpost you to you know you can give somebody a training plan in terms of what to do physically on the on the on the on the rack or on the turbo and i can signpost people in terms of you know the mental toolkit to be able to endure but it's only going to make sense when you put yourself in difficult places you know it's not going to make experience sense experience is the only yeah. way to get there yeah. isn't it yeah, yeah. So it's, Gaz, Gaz Banford, who's been on this this podcast before, ex sergeant major of the SBS, the, the the simplicity of the way that he puts it when people ask him, "Oh, how can you, how can you teach me how to live like a special forces operator?" and he says, "Being experienced is experiences times a thousand. Yeah, that's it. It's just you've got to you've got to get in the ring and and sort of fight your way through these things, and you'll come out the other side resilient." What have been the biggest setbacks? along the way the most unpredictable ones the ones that have really sent you into a bit of a spiral because you've already mentioned how well you manage your mental health by knowing what's good for you and, and really focusing on those things but when things do go wrong which they will how have you managed them and what are the things that have really knocked you back the most um so that i mean in a there's a scale of things going wrong you know there's things that will go wrong daily and you but you can get over them so that you you got to do certain things to get over them so 
when you're trying to break a world record and you're cycling across Russia and there's headwinds and wolves and things and you know, that's there's bits there going wrong because you're behind schedule and it's cold and you can't camp out because of the wolves. You know, so you just got to think quite practically. And I'm quite, there's a side of me that's quite practical where, you know, I think of the, the six pistons of endurance, planning, food, water, sleep, muscle management and motivation. You know, what can I do in those six things that I can control, um, which will help me get through this and, and, and break a record type thing, especially when there's a time element. You know, that seems to be the the thing that's the hardest to overcome because, you know, when I did my world's longest triathlon was around the length of Britain, you know, the only time imposed element to it was self-imposed. So I, I, you know, I, I could have done the swim over three years, you know, and come home and taken a break and gone back out the next summer when the weather was good. But for me that I needed to do it in a one uh, and the same with the world's longest triathlon. I could have done that over six or eight months, really, and just sort of done it slowly and had some fun. But for me, I wanted it to be a physically difficult journey as well, um, because I wanted to train hard and that got the terrier excited. So, um, but if there was a, a bad day on either of those two, for example, I could take the day off and, you know, if, if there was bad weather and it wouldn't change too many things. But when you're going for a speed record, like the, the cycling across Europe record, you know, that's when you have bad road quality or you get punctures um, or there's just big trucks and you've chosen a dodgy road and you're 20 miles short on the, on each day for days on end and you can see the record slipping away. You know, that's difficult to deal with. But how I cope with it is just trying to focus on the things I can manage you know yes there's big trucks on the road are there big trucks on the road at two in the morning maybe not so maybe i should shift my cycling time to night time um but then at two in the morning there's lots of people who've had too much vodka so you know th there's all those sort of questions i was asking myself so those are the, the things that you sort of can not not that you can control them but you can do certain things that hopefully will will start making you win because basically i'm trying to win right and 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 uh the things that really hit me back is when i when stuff happens out of my control you know like an injury 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 is the big one and, and any sports person will tell you that you know when you get injured and it's taken away from you whatever you're trying to get oh, it's very hard to overcome that really uh i mean I, i've got quite short memory so i'm quite good at bouncing back I sort of forget the bad stuff quite quickly and I don't know if that's on purpose or just the way I'm my my brain is wired but I do forget the bad stuff pretty quickly and and can and can really shift that's when the monkey just takes over and be like right that didn't work right let's try something else boom okay and now I'm now I'm down that path um and that works for me I don't know if it's the best strategy even <laughs> long term but it seems to work for now you've been hit off your bike several times over the years haven't you and it it's got in the way of the plan i think it's fair to say as 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 being hit by a car when you're on your bike tends tends to do to be quite honest and there was one that got in the way of your your trip around the world quite severely didn't it and it was actually probably the worst it's fair to say the worst hospitalization injury you've had as a result of living the life that you have was was the around the world cycle you hit by uh, yeah and and the only one really I've, I've, that's the in fact that's the only time i've been hit 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 by a car on the bike um yeah so that was yeah that was bad but like, i actually don't remember anything so that was quite useful uh the you know, the brain has a way of 
shutting off the bad stuff. So I, I went to bed the night before and woke up the next day in hospital. So I'd woken up that morning. I'd cycled for a couple of hours. I got run over from behind. Went straight up onto the windscreen, you know, or apparently. Um, and then they... I sort of have some memories now, but I'm not sure if they're actual memories or just dreams I've had since or just fabricated stuff in my head. Um, but I sort of remember leaving... The, the motel I was staying in the night before sort of I sort of remember the road but not really I, I went back so to carry on the, with the bike ride after I recovered I went back to the place where I got run over and I have zero memory of it I just yeah nothing absolutely nothing so um which is probably quite good you know the fact that I have no trauma there um probably meant I carried on cycling because maybe I wouldn't have <laughs> that had been this big like pain and and noises and crashing and head hitting the windscreen and all that maybe I, that would have been too much for me to handle so when you came around from that and the reality had checked in of such a big event commitment from sponsors commitment from yourself in terms of time time away all of this that had gone into it how did you manage the huge spike in emotion in terms of confronting that because when things go wrong in people's lives day to day, it's very difficult to manage that spike in emotion. I think zone two endurance, that side of my training has really helped me day to day better manage that through putting me in a calmer, more deliberative state of mind. And you've spent weeks, months in that state of mind. So I can imagine you're very good at managing those spikes on a day to day basis. But when faced with that situation, just talk us through the feelings that the things you were tackling in your head when you came around the hospital thinking, Oh, here we are. Well, a couple of things happened. The first one was uh, Guinness had a rule that you had to do it on the same bike. You could change components and things like that, but you had to do it on the same bike. So the, the first thing I remember saying is, how's the bike? And they said, oh, it's a write-off. So, the, it, yeah, I sort of had this first thing of like, oh, but I'm sh it's a steel frame. I'm sure someone can fix it. I'll just get it fixed and I'll carry on. So there was a bit of denial at the beginning on how serious I was injured. And I, I truly believed like five days I'll be back on the bike. I even said that because, you know, with the record, anything more than that, you know, you probably you're out of the record anyway. But I thought, oh, I'll, I feel fine. You know, I'll wear a neck brace. Five days I'll be fine. Um, I then realized that wasn't going to be five days. So then... There was another rule that Guinness had in the rule book, which was if you if you reach an impassable barrier, you're allowed to stop the clock. They've got rid of this rule now, and I'm glad they have got rid of it because it's a rubbish rule. And you could stop for two weeks. So really, you could have two-week rest breaks in between this staged bike ride around the world. It was stupid. Um, but they've got rid of that now, and it's continuous clock. So I emailed them and said, does an accident fall under the... I've reached an impassable barrier and can I stop the clock? And they actually replied back and they said, uh, we've looked at it and yes, you can. So you've got two weeks off. So I was like, okay, well, that buys me two weeks within the rules. Um, and then the next thing was, right, let me try and get the bike fixed. So we sent the bike off um, to a bike shop to have a look. It was the rear stays. Basically, the, the rear triangle was, was bust. Could they weld on a new triangle there? And they came back and they said, no, it's just, is too long gone there's no way we can do it accurately so the wheel runs true and all that so then i emailed guinness again and said right well i've been in this accident you know i'll keep all the components so i'll keep 
you know, except the rear wheel, but I'll keep the front wheel and, and everything else. The, the Roloff hub was still intact, so I could reuse that. Um, can I just get a new frame and, you know, carry on on the bike ride after this two-week thing? And they said, okay, yes, you can do that as well. Um, so, so yeah, so I was very much in this sort of scenario of, right, I can carry on now, definitely. So the two weeks came and went, and I definitely wasn't ready to get on the bike. And I was sort of doing the maths, and it basically every day my average was going to was going up something like five or ten miles a day. I'd have to do on average more to get the record. So I was averaging about 180 or 190 somewhere there up to that point miles a day. And then you know for every day it was like all of a sudden I'd have to do 195. And then 200 and then 205. And then eventually it got to a point where my average was going to need to be like 210 or 215 miles a day for the rest of the ride. And I just knew that that was just impossible. So then that that was the realization of like, right, well, I can't do this now. Like I probably can't get this record. So I thought, right, well, I'm just going to go home. And that was my chance. I had my chance and that was it. Then while I was packing up my stuff and going through all my kit, I saw that I had this a little Olympic flame that some kids uh, made me to take around the world because it was 2012 in London. So I said, oh, Sean, can you take an Olympic, a replica Olympic flame around the world? A little batteries with, you know, fake lights to butt, to glow and that sort of thing. It was really cute. And uh, I thought, you know, these five-year-olds using 3D printers and stuff. It was amazing. I was like, of course I'm going to take your little flame around the world. So I I suddenly thought, wow, man, these kids are going to be gutted. So what if that's just my new goal? You know, maybe my, my new goal is, is I can't get the record now. That's pretty clear. But maybe my new goal is to get around the world in time for the Olympics and take these kids their flame back, you know. Um, and then this wonderful family I stayed with, Martin and Missy Carey, uh, who looked after me and I stayed with them in their home. You know, really, I couldn't have done it without them. They bought me a new bike as well. You know, they they phoned Thorn in Somerset, and that was the bike I used, and said, "Remember, Sean, send us a bike; we'll pay for it." So they were just incredible in, in basically getting me a new bike, and um, yeah, so that sort of became my new goal. You know, so you know, to answer your question, how do I get over it? I I I sort of just gave myself a new thing to chase, which was trying to get back to London in time for the Olympics. So I had nearly a month off with the with the injury carried on still with a neck brace you know because I had a bit of whiplash I have a compression fracture in my spine which is sort of fine now um but it'll, I think they say my two of my vertebrae might fuse when I'm older um but I think I only had to do 135 or 140 miles a day from then on just to get back to London in time for the Olympics so that sort of became my new my new my new goal and my new challenge and that allowed me to, to scratch the terrier in me otherwise I think I would have just got really frustrated had I carried on in a in holiday mode as it were which I don't think I could have done Do you think you could have better managed the anxiety and stress that you felt the night before by maybe leaning on those around you a bit more in the run up or maybe anticipating things a little bit more ahead of time asking questions bodying up with people when you arrived asking for a bit of help rather than looking after your own kit was there anything that you think you could have done differently that would have better managed that anxiousness um no 
No. Honestly, no. And all the things you said that I could have done there, I did do. And I buddied up, I spoke to people, I, I, I leaned on the organisers who were very, very helpful beforehand to, to double check my kit for me. Is this right? Et cetera, et cetera. I think one very small practical thing that I could have done, which which only experience has taught me, would be to make sure that bloody ranger skin wasn't a flat surface. And I might have not had the physical discomfort that then forced me into this really yeah, that was a spiral, mindset. wasn't it? Yeah. It was, yeah. But I, I think, uh, and going back to the kind of the themes of the first podcast that we did, I think that I needed that. Uh, it was horrible. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a really, I can't, if I was more articulate, I'd be able to describe the, the, the nightmare that it felt like it was in that TV the night before. But, um, but I can't. I'm not articulate enough, clearly. That, that big pause was exciting, but ultimately disappointing. But I think I, I think I needed it. I think I think that there was something. I've I've taken a lot from that because yeah. the I've talked about leaning into the fear and marinating in it and and absorbing it and and, and growth is in that fear and and all the rest of it and. Uh, and I, uh, not, not all of it has been from experience. I'm not kind of waxing lyrical about that. That has been the experience that I've had in the past, uh, but never more so than that. Uh, or maybe in different circumstances, I felt as as uh, overwhelmed by it. Um, but that in of itself gave me something in that race that had I not had that experience the night before, uh, I'm not sure the night before Christmas. I'm not sure I would have. I would have enjoyed it in the way I did. I'm not sure I'd have been as comfortable. Appreciative as of the outcome. Yeah, I, I needed to be kind of, um, I wish I had a better way to say this, but almost sort of reborn through that fear, pop out the other side the next morning and just go, eh, it's not going to be as bad as that was, you know. And, and 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 then every step that I took, almost almost literally through that race, every step that I took, my confidence grew. Uh, on day one, from, a, from an athletic perspective, I, I really sat on the brakes quite hard concern that I might blow up a little bit and, and, and hamper my progress or maybe kind of burn myself out for further days. By day two, getting through what a lot of people couldn't get through, through grit, determination, physicality and a practical approach. Um, going into day three, I knew I could complete it. Uh, and, and from day three into day four, I actually knew that retrospectively I could probably could have gone faster, you know. And, and by the time I got into day five, uh, you and I have talked about it, privately and and on another podcast is that I was almost aggressively excited by what I could do you know and, and when I when I crossed the finish line uh, w- without meaning any disrespect to anybody else I, I looked and felt good in, in terms of you know I could have gone again and and so that in itself lends itself back to that kind of fear being quite so important also tells me that I was wrong Clearly, <laughs> well, that's but the interesting not sure, point here. I'm not sure I could have found the right. I'm not sure I could have found that confidence and found that ability to march through and been able to tell myself over and over. You know, the the, the environment's not going to beat me. I was able to talk to myself in that sense. Uh, this isn't going to do you. It, you you were going to do you. You know, and if if I if I didn't beat me, you know, then I couldn't have beaten anything else. And having beaten me, having beaten that really negative kind of mindset. Uh, I felt like, uh, uh, and, and as I say, more and more as the race went on, I could I could probably do anything. And uh, I've grown so much from it in terms of my own confidence. Not not to the point of arrogance. I still think I'll be, sort of, the next race will be in 12 weeks' time and, and, I, and I expect to be nervous, but I don't expect to have to cross that particular uh, chasm. It's a completely of, different challenge as well, isn't it? It is very much so. But 
Um, I, I don't. I expect to be very nervous, and I expect to go through a kind of a, a barrier. But you've been exposed again. to that feeling. You've now managed yeah. to process it, come out I'll the other side, that. and have confidence yeah. in your ability to overcome it, which I think is the key point here. Because what you've described is no different to somebody prepping for their first half Ironman, no. Ironman, an awkward conversation with their boss, asking for a promotion. All of the time that we devote in our own minds to reflecting on hypothetical realities or catastrophizing on the reality of the here and now for what the future could potentially be in that hypothetical concept in your own head and it sounds like you almost you almost fell so far down the spiral of anxiousness and catastrophizing that you lost sight of all of the work that you've done, all of the prep that you've done, all of the confidence you've built to put yourself in that position in the first place. Because there's millions, billions, in fact, of people worldwide that weren't in that position, whether by means, access, or whatever. Obviously, I don't want to sound insensitive by saying that because it was a privileged position to be in. Very much so, yeah. But there you were. And if you look at things objectively, it's fascinating how you'd done the work, you'd made it happen, you'd got there, you'd managed all you needed to manage, and here you were, oh, I'm having a shit night's sleep. Let's see how tomorrow goes. But that's not how human beings process things, no, is it? No, so even not. for somebody who, Johnny Payne, tattooed hard man, outwardly presented, still suffers crippling self-doubt when it comes to executing on task, which makes us, it's just a very human emotion to experience. How has the experience and the reflections since influenced your perspective as a husband and a father? That's a great question, because it's been... It's been a, a, an emotional process. I, I'm, I'm being more patient. I think. Well, I wonder if my wife will listen to this and say, "No, you're bloody not." <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm not. I can't not send it to her now, can I? Specifically, this section. That so little can, clip. You're on thin Ash, ice, but you spent a lot this. of time on thick ice recently, so this will balance uh, it out. Good, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I, I have done. I have done. Well, these great big events. Uh, you do, do you, by the way, being more patient doesn't mean you are patient. <laughs> no, it's it you're less impatient. Less so imp- I think <laughs> you can dress it up that way. That's if you, glass if half like. empty, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess maybe what I'm trying to say is that uh, I, I have come back to my beautiful family after having gone through something very hard. That the the the, uh, the actual event itself was tough to do. Uh, they're very proud of me as well, which is nice to come back and, and feel like you're you know they're. I've got, uh, a young girl and three young boys and all of them you want to be some way positively inspiring to certainly give them a, a decent opportunity to look at things uh, in a hopeful positive manner and, and I feel like I, I brought that home to a certain degree um, I don't think they'd have been they're, they're perhaps too young and, and, and they, they love their daddy enough to be not disappointed where I to ju- they just wanted me home safe so I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have been judged for any particular failure at home but I'm glad to have brought home the, the, the win so to speak but from that particular uh, uh, immersion into fear, uh, and then the same as I looked at the race from that point on, as this is all a privilege, this is all a gift, uh, that's kind of lingered uh, in, in a nice way that I'm home, uh, and you know I'm, I'm looking at the, what I have as being a privilege much more so. Never ever took it for granted. I'm always hyper aware of uh, of what uh, what I've got, and, and we we practically count blessings together as, as a family, but. Um, yeah, I, I've been taking little moments and stepping back and looking at everybody and thinking, you know, how lucky I am. And, and I'm glad that I had that dip into that little dark sea uh, in order to come home and uh, reflect on it. 
one of the most valuable things I found from ultra endurance events is the honesty that is required to get through them from a practical point of view, because you yeah. can't, there's nowhere to hide. I mean, yeah. there is somewhere to hide, but if you hide for too long, you're going to get found out and it's going to be you that finds yourself out and then you're going to be in trouble. So I think the skill of honesty and practical action essentially taking action when the practicality forces you to is something that ultra endurance events will refine and and hone into you so from your perspective as an athlete how much did ultra endurance training and then the actual practice of events refine you as a person because it's clear that obviously becoming a father has been a real turning point for your approach to things psychologically but were there any demons in your 20s? Were there any perspectives that you had on your dad and your upbringing that were better managed through ultra-endurance training? 100%. Yeah, and, and, and just touching on your point of honesty, I think um, closer linked to that is being fallible. Being, mm, you know, admit, admitting that you are not a perfect human and that sometimes you're not going to be able to provide or be the best of what you, you know and and i always now get it's funny as i've as i've come to my late 30s i can look at young blokes now there's some lads that come through on our races and and the ego is there and you just see it almost like a weakness you know that that reaction of you know, oh, I, I'm, this is fine i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that and um i, I read a really cool thing uh recently so i could try and rack my brain now is that the world needs more uh, boundless. The world needs more boundless enthusiasm than toxic pos positivity. So uh, the the difference being that uh, encouragement and support is much better than man up and do it. Um, you know, it's, and, it's and, problem solving essentially. Yeah. You are coming together as human beings, which is what we're hardwired to do to find a problem to a solution presented to you. Which is yeah, why yeah. when we put ourselves in silos, we we start to perpetuate this negative thought pattern and thinking oh yeah. everything's going to be okay oh look on the bright side that's not going to get you anywhere because that's not how we work from a neuroscientific point of view it's not how we actually engage with support mechanisms especially yeah. as especially as blokes we, when we come together and find problem uh, solutions to problems we form a better bond than were you just in the same room as another guy it, yeah. it's hardwired into us and i think that's something that's too easy to forget and there's power in the struggle, which is where it links nicely into endurance. You know, it's a very, think about how many times we see it in, in the world of sport where teams that go through a very tough season or win a World Cup, you know, they always have that bond, don't they? Because they've been there together. Think about when guys uh, and girls go off to war and they come back and they always have that loyalty to each other. There's, 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 a, there's a real bonding in struggle. And not that, that any way endurance sports can uh, compares with going to a war zone, but there is a there is this similar thing that happens in endurance sports where, firstly, you get stripped back and exposed. There's no room for an ego, especially in our world. You know, if you turn up into a jungle thinking you're you're you know the next Rambo, you're you're soon going to be. Like, I'll I'll book the helicopter before you even start. You know, that's the kind of. Uh, situation that we often well we don't often deal with it thankfully we sometimes deal with it uh, but there's no there's no room for ego but then when you go through these things the anyone that you go through that with so johnny you had him on your last show he's been through the arctic race and he will have a bond with the 20 odd so that made it to the finish line and he does he does categorically started. he speaks yeah, to them and, and gets a lot of value from the conversations now it's it's always an interesting thing that that bond is there um and and endurance sports does that it can be a very lonely sport 
which is great. It was great for me in my 20s. I managed to run away from a lot of stuff and then come back with a better mind and, and probably more so quell that energy, like almost like a Labrador wanting, you know, I had so much energy as a 20-year-old, so much anger, resentment, all the kind of things that come with the upbringing I had, which managed to kind of put a dampener on it. That's what that did. That just that was just putting a dampener on all of it, a, a coping mechanism. But then also you get this lovely kind of community, family, all of that kind of shared experience stuff that you get with ultra running that when you've been through something properly, properly tough, I more than you've ever thought that you'd be able to do, and you've done that with someone else, that is properly magical stuff. Uh, that is That is better than most things that you'll get in life in in my opinion and that's why i'm so passionate about my job because i almost like my job is to almost set the stage the people that do the race are the the stars of the show they go make the show and what it is but i set the environment for people to go do that and uh that's why i become quite obsessed with trying to find the best balance to to make that happen uh because that is you don't do a job like mine for the financial reward. I don't think, I don't think you do it for anything that, cause I mean, it, it's just not a thing. You wouldn't go into this if money was your main motivator. But for me, when, when you see those people at the finish line and that kind of release come through, then that's, that's like the best currency in the world for me. And, uh, I, I value that more now when I didn't realize how much I needed that until COVID and stopped all of our events. Um, and then when we did that first race back in the finish line there, I was like, yeah, this is, this is the good stuff. You've recently ran 5,000 miles around the coastline of the UK. Why? Yeah. Yeah. It just, just popped out for a pint of milk. Is that what you're saying? You got lost. You got lost. Yeah. You got lost. Yeah. Um, no, I, myself and three others, we used to have a charity, uh, called head up charity. And we're developing a seven-day positive mindset retreat for anyone in the armed forces and veterans uh, from any service, including reservists. So it's over 5 million people in the UK that can use our services completely for free. Um, it doesn't matter what sort of mindset you're in. You can be in the best mindset or the worst mindset. We want to uh, give these teachings to as many people as possible. And all they do, they, they come down to the retreat for seven days, completely for free. And they learn multiple different things from nutrition, sleep cycles, hormones, um, animal therapy, music therapy, eco-therapy, cold water therapies, journaling, affirmations, and stoicism, and, and, and more. Um, and all it is to do is give them awareness and understanding and different things, how they can improve their mindset. Um, so we're in a two-year fundraising and brand awareness stage. And we said, look, we how are we going to let the nation know who we are? One, so that people know to come and use our services once we open the doors. Two, to get some fundraisers and um, get our name out there. We want to, we, we, we're after quite a bit of money. So we, we're going to go to grant givers um, in eight, nine months time and ask for quite a lot of money. But what we want to do is we want them to hear about us before we go and see them so that they go, well, yeah, we've heard of Head Up. Um, so we, we were like, well, we've all got to do something big. Let's let's do something. Let's put ourselves out there. Let's show people the passion we got. Let's lead by example. You know, we're asking other people to fundraise for us. So let's show them that we're willing to put ourselves in the line as well. Uh, so I put my hand up first. I said, look, I'm going to do something. The armed forces is mainly made up of Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England. Let's. What if I ran all around the 
circumference of these countries and speaking to different people, finding out what's working for them, what's not, giving talks, trying to get some awareness and hopefully get some media attention as well and get the name out there as much as possible. So um, the other three said, look, that's pretty mad. Like, why don't you just wrap it down the country or something? <laughs> but I was like, no, let, I'm going to give it a go. So um, I, I said, well, I'm going to run 15 miles a day. And then when I put it, when I plotted the route out, there was a year and a half. And I was like, there's no way I'm going out for a year and a half. So I've redone it um, so that on average, I was running 30 miles a day. Um, and it took me seven months. So I started on the 1st of March, 2022, and I finished on the 1st of October, 2022. And I ran on average 29.6 miles a day. Um, but it was never exactly that. It was some, I think the shortest day was 18 miles and the longest was, longest was 42. And that was six days a week with all my kit on me. So I had 10 kilogram bag on me and I was just running from place to place. Uh, and then just staying with random people, anyone that would put me up. So I was very lucky to stay with everyone from lords, MPs, teachers, veterans of all sorts, fishermen, just a whole wide, wide range of people. And it was, it was fantastic. And I gave talks and, um, I had business meetings. I had quite a lot of media attention from um, national and local media platforms. So, and, and it it went really well. Uh, it's great to get the context for what you're hoping to create, and actually then showing that you've got some skin in the game. But quite quite literally, I'm sure there is some of your skin left in uh, in blisters all over the UK at this point. So, five thousand miles. Let's let let's focus on what that involves. So, it was 191 marathons equivalent of in 218 days total, wasn't it? So, five thousand miles is an incomprehensible distance. I'm sure you've got lots of ways of contextualizing that. Is that is that over the Atlantic? Is it again? I haven't really I haven't really thought about how quite far in a straight line that is. But elevation wise as well, just break down for us what are the big scary numbers that came with this? Oh yeah, um, I wish I, I wish I'd had piece of paper in front of me to tell you. I can't remember what they all are, but I think the elevation was something like over three hundred thousand foot of elevation, which I think was something like. It's about 100,000 oh. metres, just under, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, someone I know, know 3,000 feet is 908 metres. So if somebody better at maths than I can figure this out in the background, then great. It, <laughs> it's it was, a lot. It's a lot. Someone said it was, I, I think it's true. I'll have to look into it. Someone said it was like 12 and a half um, Everest. Yeah, I can like figure that, that out now, actually. Uh, 8848 times 12.5. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. twelve Everest. Yeah, which is which oh, there you go. Is, anything, uh, anything that you can say several Everests is yeah. is plenty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And especially when you're looking at doing it day after day after day, and then um, I think the distance wise, we worked out it being something like forty four thousand laps around a running track. Uh, so, but um. It, it, it was fantastic. I had over 700 people join me running, uh, which really helped. So the shortest distance was something like 100 metres. A lady who couldn't run, she just wanted to be part of it. So oh, she fantastic. Said, fantastic. Yeah, I know. It was so good. She was like, I can't run, but I just want to do it as much as I can. And she got about 100 metres and was like, that's me. And I was like, oh, amazing. You know, thank you for being part of this. And the longest someone stayed with me was for six days, which was which is really nice of them. Um, and then... Yes, like I say, I stayed with over 200 different people, gave talks to schools, universities, armed forces establishments, uh, had lots and lots of business meetings with different people, trying to get them involved with the charity, speaking to other charities as well, because we want to be involved with them. So there was just there was just so much to this. 
but there was lots and lots of adversities on the run, as you can only imagine. Um, you know, snow blizzards, heavy wind, heavy heavy rain, uh, fields which just covered with mud, um, heat waves. Um, I cracked two ribs along the way. I got bitten by an adder. And I think, I think I got, it's important. Well, it's important to cut you up here and and, and note that you cracked the two ribs slipping in the shower, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for letting everyone know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I just, I just, uh, I just thought it's just, it's always the way. I was speaking to somebody uh, at the Gymshark story opening the other day who's about to step on stage at um, the the, Olymp- the Olympia level bodybuilding, and he's done his ACL on a motocross bike, not in the gym. Say <laughs> so it's never doing the thing that you're doing; it's always something else, isn't it? It always is, yeah. But um, I would have certainly said to him, so close to an event, I probably wouldn't be on a motocross. But I think I you- think we all. Have- <laughs> We we all have to wash though, don't we? So I think I can get away. He he makes me look a bit good on that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I sipped in the shower, cracked two ribs. It was very very uncomfortable for about three or four weeks. Um, but I'm happy to say I carried on each day. Um, in Essex, I got bitten by an adder, uh, which a lot of people think is really bad. I would have thought it'd be bad, but it wasn't too bad. My my leg went very bruised and dried and flaky, and all that happened was later that evening. I just felt very tired because my body was fighting the venom and I had a good night's sleep, to be honest, and woke up ready to go the next morning. <laughs> so if anyone can't sleep, there you go, there's your cure. Problem solved, um, problem solved. And then I think the worst the worst adversity I had throughout the run, I don't know if you've ever heard of hogweeds, giant yeah. hogweed. Yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of them. And I ended up going through a field full of giant hogweeds, burnt my leg, uh, they all blistered up. It was horrendous. And the only way I can describe it is... If you've ever put your hand over a candle or a burning flame and it's just got too much, you have to put it away. That pain there is what them hogweed burns felt like for 36 hours and you just can't get away from it and it's just you're stuck there. So I assume that was that was no sleep. You couldn't focus on anything. Running was agony. Did you, did you take that 36 hours off? Did you have to keep moving to distract yourself? How did you cope with that? Because that must have been awful. It was it was worse than cracked ribs, um, which is hard to imagine. Uh, just because the pain, my, my everything in my body was just drained and focused on the legs, and I'd, I'd gone completely white uh, throughout the whole time. Um, but I did carry on. I, I said from the very beginning of my run, I, I don't want to miss one mile or one day, um, no matter what the adversity, unless it's you know I broke on my leg or back, you know, I, I physically can't move. But if I can, if I can still physically move, I want to get through it. And the reason why I wanted to is because I wanted to show people no matter how much physical um emotional psychological mental pain that you're in you can get through it if you just keep going no matter how much it hurts no matter how difficult it feels at that moment in time and trust me when i had them hogweed burns or cracked ribs i did not want to run 30 plus miles each day day after day and but i, I did it not because i was trying to be tough or, or anything but i just wanted to show people that you can get through it. And I always, I, I've always lived off a mantra on my run. I think I said it probably dozens of times every day to get myself through. And it was pain, pain is temporary and pride is forever. And that pain will subside in like your memory probably won't even remember the physical, what it even felt like, but you will always remember getting through that moment in time. Um, and you that's something that you can be proud of. Hundred percent, and you've got uh, you've got conversations like this, media to to remind yourself if you ever forget about that pride. Because I have it with some big events I've completed and things over the years. Is you can easily it can easily seem like a dream or something that kind of you, you just thought about, and and the significance of it in the grand scheme of things is easy to forget about. But I think that's why uh, 
having smartphones in their pockets and things is fantastic for all that because you can look back and go, oh, yeah, I did do that. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, and 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 anyone, anyone could do. You don't have to do a five thousand mile run. No, um, no you might just. <laughs> it's, it's not not a recommendation. GPs are giving out for sure. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, um, there were some people that joined me on my run who had never hardly ran before, and they, they completed a five kilometer run, and that was huge for them. Yeah. And you know, it, even to this day, they're like, I can't believe I ran five kilometers with you. And I'd certainly say for some some people to run five kilometers was a bigger achievement than me running five thousand miles because it's something that I've done my whole life running, and this is something that are completely completely new to them. It's something that they never thought felt was ever possible, and it doesn't matter what the achievement is. It doesn't even have to be a physical achievement. It could just sometimes be um, getting out of bed, you know, or, or or cleaning the house or being outside or talking to someone new, getting outside your comfort zone, whatever it yeah. is, it's an achievement, and it's something that you can, you, can, uh, you can bank. You can bank that achievement and bank that pride forever. That perspective shift that you've had in terms of viewing everything as positive or at the very least neutral, I'd imagine, I know from personal experience for me has been massively refined and developed by ultra endurance running, ultra endurance mm -hmm. events, triathlon, all the things that I've done in the past. So do you want to just run us through your, I know I know you'll say this as wanky as well, your fitness journey from 5Ks to ultras? Yeah, of course. So um, like many people, when I first started running, I absolutely hated it. Um, I could barely get to the end of my road without feeling like I wanted to vomit. Really, I really struggled. And although I, I did do lots of sport kind of from the age of 15, before that point, I would always be sort of the last one picked in teams during PE or sports or whatever. Um, I definitely was seen as sort of the more academic type than um, someone who might be on a hockey team or a netball team or whatever. Um, although I quickly discovered that actually, just as an aside, that wasn't to do with the fact that I wasn't good at those sports or wasn't good at sports in general, it was that I hadn't actually found the sport that I enjoyed. And so when I found squash, which is kind of, at the time, definitely at school, it was quite niche. Um, once I found that, I realized, oh, hang on a second, it's not that I'm bad at all sports. It's that I hadn't, at that point, found a sport that suited me. And it turns out I hate team sports. So running works really well for me. Um, squash works really well for me. I do boxing as well and, and weightlifting, all of which are pretty individual sports. Um, so I first really properly started endurance training when it was about in 2018 when I was uh, asked to do Tokyo Marathon, which is a very, very cool first big um, endurance race to do. But I was only asked to do it with about two months to race day. And I did my first 10 kilometer race in training for the marathon. And um, I can just say, I wouldn't necessarily recommend trying to train for your first marathon within two months, especially off the back of very little endurance training whatsoever um but i did it i completed it and whilst it destroyed kind of both my it bands at the same time um it didn't put me off endurance running for good which i think is kind of miraculous and says a lot about um, um mindset and how you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that anything's fun if you try hard enough and so it wasn't until 2020 um during lockdown that i did my first and my second ultra um official ultras that is so i did a 50 kilometer race up in the peak district and then was so happy with how that went and absolutely loved it that i immediately signed up to a 48 kilometer race down on the Jurassic coast um on the southwest coast path of the uk 
literally a month later and just basically did the two back to back and had the best time. I think I can safely say they were two of the best days of my life. And that might be something to do with the runner's high. It might be something to do with the fact that I was in such amazing company um, or that the places were beautiful or a combination of everything. But those were the things that really got me hooked on long distance running that wasn't just on roads and wasn't just about hitting times and paces and trying to get your marathon within four hours or whatever. I found the pressure of that with road marathons to be quite a lot. Whereas with trail marathons and ultra marathons, um, it seems to be a lot more to do with doing the best that you can do and beating the terrain and the conditions rather than just trying to get everything done as fast as possible. Um, and just most recently, I did um, a much bigger ultra marathon that I genuinely wasn't entirely sure that I was going to be able to complete, which was the 125 kilometer um, Highland Ultra that was in the Highlands of Scotland. And um, that was a bit of a bigger challenge. Uh, the biggest day was 50K, which is obviously the longest I'd ever run before that. And that was the first day. And then I had two other days to do after that point. So I definitely had a couple more moments of questioning, like what the hell I was doing um, during those three days. But overall, I had the most amazing time and um, did way better than I ever thought I would as well. It's a, it's a different beast, isn't it? Doing a really big day and then waking up with the pain from the day before to, oh my God, I'm doing it again. <laughs> so yeah. I think that the, the mental the mental battles won. This is the main thing for me. And like you said, the reason I avoid marathon, the marathons as a distance is because there's a bit of a subculture within it that I think detracts from the value of running in and of itself for enjoyment. And I think, as you've said, the process, the scenery, the runners high, the company, the enjoyment, the lessons learned yeah. along the way from ultra running, in my mind has proven more beneficial for me internally than just sending it on tarmac has done. So I can fully empathize with uh, your experiences in that sense. So what were the biggest lessons taken from that journey? I can imagine, to put it into context for myself, I've gone from having no concept of how X distance could have been covered by anyone possibly to having been able to do it myself and then reflecting and the, the relative scale of what you feel you're capable of is massively increasing and that then spills over into your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, that would be 100% my first lesson. Um, and I do think that ultras teach you more lessons than almost anything else in life. Um, and with every single kilometer, they teach you a new lesson. So the longer the ultra, the more lessons you learn. And most of them are not just applicable to running. They are actually applicable to everything you do, really. And um, yeah, so the first one would be that you can do far more than you ever imagined possible. And that's exactly what you were just saying. When I first started running like I said I could barely run to the end of my road and I thought how on earth am I going to be able to run five kilometers non-stop and of course it took me a long time to be able to do that I think my first five kilometer run took me 34 minutes um which you know isn't super slow but also is nowhere near as fast as I could then do it several years later and I think if you put yourself in a situation where you don't think you can do something and then you work towards it and then you achieve it it is the best thing, not only for your happiness, but also for your confidence in everyday life to think, actually, you know what? That was something that I would have laughed in your face if you told me that I was going to be doing that a year ago. And yet this year, here we are doing it and completing it and managing and, and even having fun whilst doing it. So, yeah, you can do far more than you thought that you could. My second lesson is to learn when to rest and not to quit. Um, I think this is a really important one. I've seen it a lot online um, and I kind of read it before I did ultramarathons. I read it and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I did ultramarathons and I was like, oh no, they mean it literally. Like 
in an ultramarathon, if you get to an aid station or you get to the top of a mountain having climbed two, three hours, and you think, you know what, fuck this, sorry. Am I allowed to swear? You are, freely. Okay, great. <laughs> you get to the top of a mountain. <laughs> it's, too late. it's too late now, anyway. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, fuck this. I hated that. I've done three hours of climbing. I'm starving. We're nowhere near the end. I'm barely 20 kilometers into this race. I want to go home. The only way you can get home is by going back down the mountain to the next aid station and being picked up by someone, which is essentially the same thing as continuing the race. And so at that point, you're doing the distance anyway, but you don't get a medal at the end. So in my kind of weird, perverse brain, I think it's almost easier to, to keep going through the hard things, to get out the other end. And if that means having to sit down and have a sandwich on the top of a mountain, then like, you do you, do that. Literally my first long distance um, race that wasn't Tokyo Marathon, it was like a, a 23 kilometer trail run. I sat down halfway up the mountain to have my lunch. I had, a, I had a, a flask of tea, I had a sandwich, and I had a packet of crisps. And, and some people overtook me, and I was like, guys, when are you going to have your lunch? And he was like, we don't have lunch on a race like this. And I was like, how do you survive? Um, so that was me resting. And you know what? I went and beat them on the downhills. I had my little kick of energy, and um, it was a great thing. So, yeah, learn when to rest and not when to quit. Um, and, yeah, you'll get way further than you think you could. So do you want to talk us through your three peaks by foot, not just yeah. by car, which is probably where people will suddenly sit up right in their seat and go, excuse me. Yeah, so three peaks kind of the stupid way, uh, basically. So so after Everest, you know, I, 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 again, I kind of had a bit of a reframe and I moved more into ultra endurance. And that's, that's really where I started. I started in running. That's my passion. That's probably the only sport that I'm kind of any good at. Um, and I was looking for something else. I've always been interested in, you know, something a bit off the beaten track. Um, Everest, some people will probably laugh and say he's not off the beaten track, but uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I like doing unconventional things. Um, and the Three Peaks run, basically doing the Three Peaks, but but running 450 miles and 70 marathons in between them, uh, ticked all the boxes. You know, it scared the living hell out of me, but it was that careful balance between, like, can I do this? And, you know, like, oh my God, what on earth am I thinking? Um, and it was 2020, so it was just after the pandemic, which kind of gave me a bit more time to train. Was it that long but ago? It, yeah, it was. I can still 20... remember seeing your stories about it. Was that 2020? Oh my goodness. August 2020, yeah. And, and so I guess I'd kind of come from a road running background into, you know, kind of road marathons for a while into ultra running and then moving into the lakes, which is a different playground, you know, and suddenly got really slow on the road and kind of strong in the hills. Um, so it, it was kind of a natural progression, but just for clarity, I'd not really done an ultra marathon before I did this, let, let alone doing sort of 50 miles a day for nine days. Um, it, it broke me physically and mentally, you know, but it was amazing journey. Uh, it raised about 11,000 pounds in the process. You know, that was for mine. That was actually, you know, that was for actually Mind of Mountains, which we started as a charity um, also uh, in 2020. And, yeah, what to say about it. I mean, what I learned from that was don't doubt yourself. And the body is so resilient. Like everything happened to me. You know, I don't think your body can really cope with running that sort of distance on road. And you know yourself, you know, from, you know, all the miles and long stuff you've done. You so it's it's like amazing how the body kind of just adapts. You know, I sprained my ankle the week before I started. 
So if there wasn't already, if I wasn't already doubting myself, you know, uh, as a complete beginner, um, but then that was fine. Every single day, you know, something else happened, something else kind of fell off. And then halfway around, I was hobbling down Scarfell Pike. I'd, I'd, I'd strained, I'd, I'd strained a tendon, uh, in a perineal tendon. So I was in a really bad way. I'd, I'd lost a day in my schedule. One of my sponsors had basically emailed me telling tell me to quit because they didn't think I was going to make it and I was clearly doing myself damage. But when they did that, it kind of was a bit of a flashback to the bullying and a bit like, yeah, come on then, watch me, which I know isn't a very healthy attitude, but actually it was what I needed at the time. And and somehow uh, with a lot of help, a lot of support, people come in from, from far and wide. Um, I crawled over and finished just an hour behind the fastest time, uh, nine days, 12 hours. Um, so... I don't know how my body did it. I really don't. Um, but yeah, that was probably def- definitely my, my hardest challenge. Uh, and, you know, and now I'm trying to sort of think of ways of how I can, how I can top that really. I think we've covered what that'll be. No need to be all mysterious. <laughs> well, actually the, there might be something else that's similar, more similar to that, but at the moment I'm making a comeback. So so long COVID has been my challenge for the last year. Um, you know, and that has been a mental health journey of a different kind. Mm. Um, I could talk all night about that alone, but I won't bore you all. Um, but that has also kind of, uh, you know, that has also given me a chance to reflect. And I, I've got even dapter ideas, which I think will raise a lot of money because to, to be able to, to raise money, you've got to really do something that I think makes people go like, wow. You know? Every, every month that passes now, you need to, it, it can't just be something mad. It needs to be something that people can engage with and feel connected to as well, which is, a, which is becoming more and more complex and, and difficult to do. It, it's almost an art form these days. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm pondering one big last project that I've been sitting on for almost three years at this point now. I've tried to make it happen once or twice, but there's just been too many stumbling blocks within the timeline that I hope for. And it, it, it's every time I think about it, I might write, I need to get even more creative with how this is going to happen and this is going to happen to make this worth doing so that it's not just another case of charity fatigue and here he goes again. So... Mm. Uh, I, I can empathize with you there, but I think some something you mentioned there that ties back to what I've been pondering this whole whole way through from a learning point of view is I've seen you mention somewhere, I don't know whether it's on the website or in reading ahead of this, is that you, you called yourself a victim growing up and you mm. reframed your mentality from being a victim to being growth-minded and given that you have worked so hard and taken so much action to do that, how can anyone listening, if they feel trapped in a sort of victim mindset, how can they get themselves out of it? Great question. Um, How can they get out of it? One, one, One mantra I often use is trust the process, you know, and it's often something that you kind of gain from hindsight, having done the things that have helped you to get out of it. But I think uh, essentially it's to, it's to look at, always look for the opportunities. You know, we can always, we, we can't control what happens to us in life. You know, so many things in life are outside of our control. In the mountains, it's the weather, it's injuries, it's health, it's logistics, it's the people around you, it's the pandemic. But the one thing we can always control is how we respond to that. And, you know, we can either kind of lie down and kind of complain and and say, why me? Or we can say, actually, how do I grow from this? 
And when I got back from Everest, a good friend of mine, Rich, another Rich, not the same one I mentioned a few times, he gave me the tough love approach I needed. And he said, you know, this is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to you. You've just got to grow from it. And ever since that initial hill walk and everything since, it's by asking a question. It's like, how can I grow from this? How will I respond? You know, and there's always two choices. So I, I hope that's useful. I think it's basically, it's knowing that we can't always choose our challenges in life, but we can always choose our response to that. Um, we might not be able to change it. It might not be a great outcome, but we can always make something out of it. You know, so I think I think it's that. It's it's the power of choice. And, you know, if we know we're not happy somewhere, if we feel like a victim, um, that's also a choice. Longest ride you've done is, is it IndyPak? Or, or how, how far do you get a race across America? Because the, yeah, the amount of work and commitment that went into it and then the drop off on the other side, how have you, how have you managed it in the past? Yeah, look, uh, that's it's very interesting what you're just saying. Um, the the uh, like IndyPak was five thousand four hundred seventy-one kilometres. So I, I did IndyPak twice, one and a half times. Um, I didn't finish it the first time. The second time I did, and um, uh, I I found that um, it's interesting. The further because it's not time, so you just it's however long it takes. And I remember thinking, getting closer to the finish, thinking. Oh, this is now all coming to an end. I started by this time next week or in three days. I don't want this to end. I even started to slow up a bit because I, I didn't want it to end, and because I knew, well, I'm going to be at a loss next week, even though I had to go back to work, you know, get some earn some money. There was a whole list of to do things that were building up, but for me, I was just thinking. There's nothing. What's? Oh my gosh! But that go. that goes that goes back to the the first question on the peace that you experience as a child mm. surfing waves. Bond. It's it's the same mechanism, isn't it? It's it's safety from the chaos of the world. And you're like, whilst I'm suffering and having a bad time, my life is now boiled down to riding a bike forwards. That's it. Yes. That's all I need to worry about. Which is yeah. very simple, and life is very complex. So I feel like it shields us quite nicely from the world. Yeah, well, that's why I even quite often people say, oh, how, how do you torture yourself like this? And I think, well, I'm actually very fortunate that my life has got me in a position where I have the opportunity to do this. And I, I try and remind myself there's a lot of people can't have this opportunity. And, and even when people talk about the suffering, um, I say, well, this is something I've signed up for. This is something I'm looking for. I mean, there's people, as we all know, uh, who, whose suffering is is like I say real suffering and through circumstances beyond their control and they certainly haven't invited it in various levels so I you know I don't know whether suffering is the right thing that we can say that we do in our challenges we're pursuing a certain I guess degree of how much we can endure difficulty I think is probably a, difficulty, yeah. yeah 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 because there's people out there um, yeah, we wouldn't have to go outside our homes and we'll see people in far worse circumstances um, or in horrible circumstances. Um, but I, I think, I think after, um, um, after a major event, uh, like, like obviously with, with race across America uh, last year, I didn't, didn't finish it. So there was a massive void there for a while also to deal with, you know, the, the element of disappointment. Um, do you want to talk us through what happened there? Yep. Because it's a it's a big race. It's in the cycling community. It's well documented. But for those that maybe aren't as embedded in that, 
it is what it says on the tin. It is a race from the west to the east coast of America. It is that way around, isn't it? I'm right in saying. Yeah, west to the east, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the 52,000 meters of elevation and the average yeah. finish time is, is the record just under six days? Am That's I right, yep. Yep, around about that. And there's a time limit of 12 days. Um, and there's checkpoints along the way. So you have to reach certain checkpoints. Otherwise, you get eliminated. And the distance is 4,900 kilometers. So is that about 3,200 miles? Um, and it's uh, it, it goes through, um, goes over mountain ranges, through deserts, through flat, open wind exposed terrain. Um, and it's it's really brutally hard, and the the finishing um, percentage is only thirty eight percent, so sixty two percent don't finish. And um, most of the people who do it their first time get as we talk about the punch in the face, and and I got one of those uh, on day three. You know, here I, I know, I, and it was only like eight or nine hundred kilometers into it, and 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 I know that uh, I've ridden further than that, and. So when I'm, I still remember the moment I stopped, and um, and the crew took me out. They, they pulled me because I I was having a an ulnar nerve issue, which which was um, meaning my my whole I went right up my arm, and I couldn't uh, uh, balance myself on the handlebars properly. So I was riding in a really bad situation, and that was causing other issues, and also riding in a position as I was was dangerous just from staying on the bike. So it was the, it was the best call to make for my um, safety, but also for the concern of the support crew who were following me. Um, they don't like seeing someone on the precipice metaphorically and in some cases literally where there's some drops down the mountainside uh, riding like that and to have to go through that anxiety themselves is unfair. But despite all that, when you when you when you stop, uh, the emotion was just like somebody just injected with this massive cocktail of mixed emotions from the obvious disappointment, the um, then there was embarrassment, then there was accountability, then there was um, shame, um, all these other elements which had been in my life, you know, through uh, lack of self worth, everything. It was just all at once, and then you're fatigued from the accumulative fatigue and. And you know you've put so much, and others have put so much into helping you. Um, it's a real massive emotional overload. Um, and then, but I found that um, you have to accept that. You have to embrace that disappointment, and don't you can't just sort of bottle it up and say, "I understand, no problem." You have to sort of allow that emotion to to come out. Well, this is how what I felt. Allow that emotion to come out. Allow to be expressive in how whether you're tears or there's anger or or whatever. It's it's a human. I think it's a naturally understandable human reaction for anything when you put so much into something, and it, and, it, and it not that it doesn't necessarily get to the end goal you're aiming for, but to end so soon, um, that was uh, horrific. But then after that, I realised as a point you've also got to say, okay, I've I've embraced the emotion. I can put that aside. And you have to do this at the right time when when you're in the right frame of mind to do it, and just to look at the areas where that led to that situation where you were not, at least not able to produce what you felt was your your best performance. And um, I found that a really exciting challenge. This is like, uh, and I've said to people sometimes, you know, the the goal you're looking for to to, to reach 
whether it's a medal or whether it's a finish in a race or whether it's to reach a summit or whether it's to um, maybe get that promotion at work, that, that job you've always wanted and you just don't get it. But sometimes along the way, when you look at that journey, um, the, the reward you get is the one you just don't expect coming. In, in work, it could be a position that someone says, what about this job? And you go, oh, wow. I mean, it could be a, I never thought I'd be, it can be something out of the blue. Um, in a journey with um, something like Race Across America, I've, I've really found I'm get, I've got a real buzz out of breaking down this process. Okay, this is a setback, a massive setback, but breaking it down and now working on how to um, better optimise the opportunity I have. And I'm very fortunate to have to have another go at it this year. Um, so I'm, I'm already finding that, and that parlays into day-to-day life, I think, in so many ways. And, um, yeah, I'm just so I'm loving it right now, that whole process. How far I get down the road in Ram this year, we'll find out in due course.